We believe sowing seeds in prayer reaps a harvest, and he wants to pray for you. Open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 15, verse 26. Yeah, when I got that final number from Lauren, over $9,000, I was so excited. I'm like, our church is amazing. We're so generous. I love generous people because that's what changes the world. And it makes sense if we're generous with our time to go out and preach the gospel. Don't you think we'd be generous with our our resources to help the mission work. Amen. And I'm believing for that to reward you, your faith to be rewarded and for it to come back into your life. And listen to uh, today's uh, second service message because we're going to be tag teaming on faith and finances as we're in the Hebrew series talking about Cain and Abel. It's going to be a great message if you want to have your faith and courage in finances. Everybody say the spirit of truth. Thank you. Look with me in John chapter 15, verse 26. This is where we left off last week, and now we'll continue on into chapter 16 by God's grace. When the advocate or the comforter comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Highlight the three words there, I will send. Come on, say, I will send. Can you send lightning, brother or sister? No. Can you send a hurricane? No, but Jesus can send the Holy Spirit. What does that say about the divine privilege that Jesus has? That says a lot. What does it say about his equality with the Father? That also says a lot. And those three words right there caused the greatest schism in the early church in 1054 between the East and the West over the doctrinal debate over the philoquy, philoquy, if I could say right. It's a Latin word meaning and the Son. So be patient with me, please. This debate between Trinitarians caused a great split, and the Eastern Church, holding to more of a traditional position, believed that only the Father sent the Holy Spirit, and the West, who we now know as the Roman Catholics and the East as the Eastern Orthodox, those are the names they go by now, but before that split, they were just one church. The Roman Church, the East, uh, the Western Church, believed by this scripture and others that Jesus also sent the Holy Spirit. So they updated one of their creeds and put in there that the Holy Spirit came from the Father and the Son. That's where you get the word phililoquy. And now just go ahead and put up the Apostles' Creed and we'll make sure that and the uh, Son is there and you'll be able to see the insert, the insert, uh, insertion of that phrase. And that split the church. Now, what side am I on? I'm on the west side because <laughs> the west side, that kind of sounded cool when I said west side. I didn't catch myself until I said it there. But I'm on the west side, baby, because it sounds right like it belongs there. He spoke those words. He said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you, whom I will send to you. So is Jesus sending the Holy Spirit? Yes, according to the scriptures, not according to that Google page. You guys do that separately, not on the screen, please. Don't distract. But everybody look at your scriptures. Leave that scripture up as you guys are doing that, please. It says, I will send. Who's speaking there? Jesus. So it's good to grow in the knowledge of our doctrines, brother. In other words, the Eastern Church was trying to say, well, that's not what we had in the original creed. And the Western Church was saying, that's okay. We can add to it because we grow in our knowledge and in our information. 
Let's see where it is here. I believe in the Holy Spirit, God Almighty. Oh, yes, who was conceived by the Virgin Mary. This is a beautiful creed. How many like this creed right here? Let's see. It's not going to be in this creed. It's going to be, look at which creed has the filioque. F-I-L-I-O-Q-U-E. Look which one they were arguing over. I don't have it off top, but I would like to share it with you. I didn't have it in my notes, but I think it would be beneficial to see the argument that they were having there. Now, let me explain why this is important, even though they were both Trinitarians, but why it's important for our discussion today is that if Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, then that means Jesus has the power over the Holy Spirit. Now, power and authority does not mean different and divinity. Thank you. Nicene Creed. It was not the Apostles' Creed. Thank you, my brother, for doing good back there. The Nicene Creed is what they were arguing over. And what we see is that if Jesus has authority over the Holy Spirit, he must be equal with the Father because all throughout the Scriptures, you only see God having authority over his Spirit. Now, This does not take away the Father's authority over the Son. We have just read those scriptures, and as a matter of fact, we will read a few more that will say very similar statements that we uh, have heard before. So in John 16, 15, it says, all that belongs to the Father Uh, is mine. Now, the Father has authority over the Son and power over the Son, but that doesn't mean he's less and divine. Does everybody get that? See, the processions and the authorities do not change natures, and that's why I believe it's very important for us to understand this, and thank you. Here we go. Now we get to the Nicene Creed. How many like the Nicene Creed? Amen. Let's go to where he sends the Holy Spirit. Uh, There we go. Keep going. There we go. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father, and then what does it say here? And the Son, and with the Father and the Son is to be worshipped. And so this uh, phrase here, phililoquy, uh, and the Son in Latin is what they split over, and we side with the West. In other words, we side with the updated version. Now, the East is correct in saying that it wasn't there in the original Nicene Creed. They're, they're correct that the, that the Creed changed over time. But this doesn't mean that we are uh, contradicting the Scripture, because I believe even to this day, We're changing and getting better at explaining our doctrines. How many believe that? Amen. So I believe in progressive understanding of revelation. I don't believe in the progressive revelation that it keeps coming. Everybody get the difference there? See, Mormons believe in progressive revelation. They believe that the Book of Mormon progressed the New Testament. It's another testament. We forbid that in Jesus' name. They also believe that they have a living prophet that speaks Scripture. So when that prophet speaks, that is also Scripture. We do not agree with progressive revelation in that way. But we believe in the progression of understanding the revelation. So I believe even now from the Nicene Creed, if we now with our theologians, and they have, uh, to write out a creed could do so even better, and sometimes people get offended by that because these men of Nicaea and the Apostles' Creed, they were martyrs, many of them, they laid down their lives. The top three are the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed, if you're wondering. And these, uh, you know, sometimes people hear me say we could do better, and they think what I mean is we can be better Christians. That's not at all what I 
I mean. You don't become a better Christian than people who have laid down their lives and live lives of faith. That's not what I mean. What I mean is we now have the advancement of their creeds with the study of all of the church fathers, and we should be able to formulate our doctrines better. That's what I mean. But in these churches, which is funny, is both of them claim to have authority over all of Christendom. The Eastern Church believes they're the only Christian church, and the Roman Catholic Church believes they're the only Roman Catholic Church, and their divisions among themselves should show that that doesn't work very well, does it? When you go around saying you're the only one, eventually it's going to say, well, no, you're not the only one. I'm the only one. That's why when you see abuelas argue over the arroz con candules who can make it the best, you have to just say, relax, everybody does it good. We don't need auntie and grandma throwing down out here. You know what I'm saying? It's okay. Everybody does their thing. And, and, and that's the truth of the scripture is that as long as we're staying in the bounds of orthodoxy, as, as long as we're staying in the bounds of the scripture, it's okay to expound on it and then each one will have their opinion. But I totally, going back to our scriptures, thank you, brothers, believe that Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you, from where? From the Father. So he proceeds, as we believe, the Holy Spirit, first from the Father, then through the Son, to the world. We believe that's important because Jesus is the mediator then of the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, Jesus, baptizes you in the Holy Ghost and fire. Amen? And that's an important part of Pentecostal doctrine, so we ought to receive that. And once again, remember this. Having authority or having power, one person over another does not change nature. I have authority and power over the staff that are working here today. But how many know they're human beings? So if I say to one, go, another one, come, they will proceed from my command. How many believe that? Somebody like, Pastor, you're, you're not very nice. You're in charge. No, I'm in charge. How many know I have a job to do? And, and that's what you do if you're in charge of people. But that doesn't mean like how they did in the South in America during the time of slavery, that, that you have a better nature than them, God forbid. And the Bible says that to us, that we should all be servants one to another. But when I give a command, you go, or hey, brother, I need you to stand over here, or can you get some more communion for this person over here, or can you open that door? When I'm giving command and they're proceeding on that command, that doesn't mean I'm a better nature. When the Father commands, the Son listens. When the Father sends the Son, the Son goes. Amen? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son. He gave. See, the Father gave his Son. Son, I'm giving you over here. You see that? But that doesn't mean the Father and Son now have two different natures. Just because I send out my, my daughter to go cut the grass doesn't mean now we're two different natures. Amen? So the Father sends the Son, and then the Father sends the Holy Spirit to the Son to give to the world. Amen? Go to Acts chapter 1. Just see that quickly there, please. Good doctrine. Somebody say, this is good doctrine. Amen. We'll get to some application here in just a moment, but I want to give you good doctrine. Look at Acts chapter 1, where it's now coming to us, uh, where he, the Holy Spirit, is coming. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. See, the Father is giving this gift to us, for the gift my Father promised, whom you heard me speak about, and that uh, this is what John baptized in water for, because in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, so the water 
water was a sign of the Holy Spirit, the better that which was to come. Now look at verse 7. It is not for you to know the days, uh, the, the dates or the times the Father has sent by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the ends of the earth. So notice, just as John had authority to baptize people in water, Jesus now has authority to baptize us in the Holy Ghost. Amen, Pentecostals? Amen. So we have received the Holy Spirit from Jesus, our baptizer. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. So that's why it's important that we as Pentecostals understand the procession of the Holy Spirit. And we would like to see all Christians be united, not in a, um, you know, Illuminati type of ecumenicalism, you know, like some people are afraid of. Not in that way, which I do believe that is coming in some ways, but I think some people are a little bit too conspiratorial in some ways. But, but not that kind of ecumenicalism, but in a true unity of all Christians in all denominations. Amen? And remember, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnesses, so forth, those are not Christian denominations. But Roman Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, Lutheran, Church of England, all the various Protestant ones, we should be united under the triune God, under the banner of Jesus Christ, the cross of Christ, preaching the gospel. Amen? Now, we know that they have added works to it, which we talk about all the time. We know that they've added false doctrines. But in technicality, Roman Catholicism is not like Mormon and technicality, Eastern Orthodox and so forth, they're not like them because they have the triune God, they have the scriptures, and they have these things. They've just added unto it. So what are they like in our world? What they are, remind me of is like the Jews in Jesus' time. I mean, they have the scriptures, but by their traditions, they nullify them. And so for most of us who, uh, my parents have come out of Roman Catholicism or you or your family, you can relate to this. There's a lot of truth there. There's the Trinitarian belief. There's the blood of Jesus. There's the resurrection. There's forgiveness. But then they add on all of these things. And, and for the most part, what do those things cause to happen? They cause you to actually miss the gospel because you're more concerned with confessing to a priest than you are to Christ. You're more concerned about getting fed communion than you're partaking of Christ himself. Amen. And all of those things become a distraction. And so I believe that God wants to unify us. And I was just listening to some videos of the underground church in China, as well as what's happened in other places around the world when communism has come, like in Romania. And brother, in those jail cells, there are no denominations. We are all Christ followers. Amen. Amen. We can have our arguments and debates at another time, but now it's time to stand for the one true Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. And so that's what I saw happen even during the time of COVID and all of these uh, situations that we had is that the only denomination was uh, open or closed. Which one are you in, you know? We're in the ones that are open. Are you in the ones that are resistant or not? Because uh, there, were, there were churches that were Pentecostal, churches that believed in healing, and yet they were all masked up, shut down, and then closing the church. And you see, some, it was, sometimes it was our Baptist brother or a, or a Roman Catholic priest over here fighting against it. And it's like, I'm standing with that one. Amen? I'm standing with those who stand on the truth of God. And uh, yes, we will have our debates amongst ourselves. And even uh, my advice to you, brother or sister, if you want to listen to a, a gray-haired man, I'm not as young as I used to be, but uh, don't be zealous to debate with Christians. That would be my heart with you. As much as you're probably like, Pastor, I thought you're the debater. You're the deba What's going on? But here's what 
God has taught me over the years. Don't be zealous to debate with Christians. It is not our primary duty. We will debate with them. We will discuss our doctrines. I defend everyone here, uh, uh, you know, a doctrine that we have. I will do it publicly. I have. But the zealousness needs to be to win the lost. Our focus needs to be on plundering hell and populating heaven. I was getting in debates over tongues with Baptists and other brothers. I was debating this one and that one, women in the ministry, another one over Calvinism. And, this, and it just, in my spirit, I just felt grieved. And I just felt the Lord saying to me, do we have this much free time on our hands and such a world at peace that now we need to mess with each other continually online, like as if it's a UFC fight. Watch the Calvinist versus the Armenian. Watch the one who believes in gifts. And, and there's shows that do that and, and YouTube channels that do that. And they do it with grace and they do it a kind uh, there's a bunch of different channels that you can find those online, and they do them well. But just for us as a church, our calling is to go out there and to love God and love people and to win the world to Christ. So many of these guys that I see debating, they never go out and win a soul. They just want the easy, uh, you know, fruit to go out there and debate, you know, and it feels uh, uh, justifiable to them. Oh, I went out and I debated somebody online. Look at me. No, brother, we got to get out there, sister. We got to get out there and do real gospel work, win the souls for Christ. And so if you notice with me, uh, just, and, and you can do it however you want. By the way, you can debate Christians every day of your life if you want. I'm just giving pastoral advice. And uh, one time I was at a restaurant and a waitress, she got my, my order wrong. And I said, oh, that's okay. I'm a pastor. I'm I'm used to saying things and people not listening to me anyways. So, hey, this is just pastor advice, right? You, you could go do what you want. You could go debate five Christians today after you're done. That's up to you. I mean, that's not going to bring you into a bad place in this church. We'll just look at you weird every now and then. But, but here would be my heart. My heart would be is that if we're busy winning souls, making disciples, when we do debate, it's in defense of those things. And that's when you've seen me debate. When people call into question our ministry or they speak about us online, and then I must come out and defend our ministry, as the Bible says, give an answer to those who question why you believe. This is why we do what we do, and we do that in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. By God's grace, we have the Holy Spirit, and now we're testifying along with the apostles. Chapter 16, verse 1, returning to our notes. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. What uh, I mean, what a, almost a terrifying thought to have, to think that someone could kill Christians and think they're serving God. But isn't that exactly what is going to happen during the time of Paul and the Jewish persecution? The Jewish persecutors thought they were serving God by killing Christians. God have mercy. And this is what led to anti-Semitism in the church. And we need to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. How many know Jesus was a Jewish man? How many know God still has planned for the Jewish people that we have to pray for Israel? And the Bible says to bless his people, even if they don't always serve him. I still bless them in Jesus' name. I was wakeboarding yesterday, and one of the young men is a Jewish man, and uh, his father was there. And I said, Shalom Aleichem, which means peace to them in their language. And then I said, I bless you and I pray for the peace of Jerusalem that the Jewish people will have the promised land. He looked at me all crazy and weird. And he was like, and I was like, well, are you a practicing Jew? And he's like, well, sometimes. I'm like, okay, well, I went a little bit hard and heavy on you right there. 
Let me just back up now and explain what I'm doing here. I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, and I believe it's my job to pray for you and to support your independence in that land and that Jesus Christ will come and he'll save your people. That's my belief. But they also have to receive the gospel now because they don't just get in from being Jewish. Amen? But notice what Jesus says. The time will come, they'll cast you out of the synagogues. He said, in fact, they think, uh, they will think that killing you, murdering you, they will be offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I want you to turn with me now to the book of Acts. It's because they don't know Jesus. Now, I know immediately many of us, we go, uh, to the modern application of this, where the communists, as I was just mentioning before, as they murdered the disciples and Christians in their land, they thought they were doing a service not unto God, but thought they were doing a good service for their, for their nation. Look at uh, Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Here this precious brother, he's a deacon, a servant in the house of the Lord. He's preaching. He's seeing signs and wonders come to the gospel as he's preaching. And now look what happens. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose however from the members of the what? Of the synagogue. Isn't that, isn't that what Jesus prophesied would happen? Of the freedmen as it was called. Jews of Cyrene and Alexander Alexander as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So he's arguing. See, not all arguments are wrong. When the Bible warns against arguing, it's arguing in the flesh. But not all arguments are in the flesh. Here this man is defending the faith. He is striking down their claims. May we all be this powerful in word. Amen? But notice this. They then secretly persuade men to say, we've heard him blaspheme against Moses and against God. And that's how they lied on Jesus as well. And then they brought him to trial, looking at chapter 7. They ask him if these charges are true. And then he begins to preach the gospel to them. That's what I love. Don't argue with a Pentecostal because you're going to get the gospel. Amen. Don't argue with someone who loves Jesus because you're going to get the gospel. He then preaches the gospel literally all the way through the history of Abraham, all the way to Moses. He tells them everything in between. Basically, their whole Bible, he preaches it to them. And then notice what he says in verse 51 of chapter 7 at the end of this powerful sermon. He says, you nice guys, I'm here just to tell you something sweet. Is that what he said in verse 51? Now what does he say? You what? Stiff-necked people. So that's how he ends his debate. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now, what did they do at this? Here you witness our first Christian martyr. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the what? The Holy Spirit looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. That means he sees the Father. Now, notice the Trinity right here. He's full of what? 
the Holy Spirit. He looks up and he sees the glory of the Father. And what does he see? Jesus standing at his right hand. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Continue on quickly with me, brothers. Thank you. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Imagine the kind of anger that you have to have in your heart to pick up a stone and want to throw it at somebody to see them bleed out. One after another, they're picking up these stones, hurling it in anger and rage at precious Stephen there. Meanwhile, the witnesses, because they had to get throwing room, you know, they had to get their arms loose. Witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Hey, Saul, let me lay my coat here so I can get some throwing room to really get a good one. While they were stoning him, notice how Stephen prays, Lord Jesus. Show this to anybody who thinks we don't pray to Jesus. Sometimes the Muslims will say, oh, Jesus was just a prophet. No, 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 he wasn't just a prophet. We don't pray to Elijah. We don't pray to Moses. This man, Stephen, understood Jesus was more than just a man. Yahweh, Yahshua is probably what he hollered out. Yahweh, Yahshua, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out. Notice his last words, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he had fallen asleep. And that's what the church continually thought of death as, just sleeping. Because you wake up in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Death is not final to the Christian. They were torturing a Richard Warmbrand in Romania. And, and part of their torture not only was physical, but was mental brainwashing. And so they would bring him in occasionally to a room and say, your wife has come to communism. Your children have come to communism, which was lies. But they would say this to him. And, and they would say to him, everyone has changed. Everyone is with the program. He was there for 14 years, three of them in solitary confinement. They said, everyone has forsaken you. No one's a Christian anymore. Everyone is like us. Why do you even stay here? What is the point of you being? There's nothing to gain. It's over. And you know what he said back to them? He said, now I'm here for you then. He said, I'm here for you so you can hear the gospel. Can you imagine saying such a thing to the persecutor? to the one who has beaten you, to the one who has killed your friends. He watched his friends die to the suffering that these men would inflict. And they said, who are you praying for? Who are you preaching? It's all over. And he said, I'm praying for you now. I'm preaching to you now. That's why God has brought me here, so that you, a Russian, could hear the gospel from a Romanian. You think you're in control, but God is in control. God is getting out his message. And if I'm the wheat that's being ground up so that you can have the bread of life, then I'm here to be served in the name of Jesus. You see, that's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus told us to prepare for. And that's why I think when COVID came and these other persecutions came, the American church was not ready because we thought the gospel was all about us. Yes, prosperity comes to the Christian. Yes, blessing comes, healing, health, and all of these wonderful things. But it's not the main purpose. The main purpose is for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. And in this planting of the gospel, blood will be shed. 
not for forgiveness, but for the sake of the kingdom's establishment. Sometimes people look to the martyrs and think that they can give them some kind of forgiveness. And that's where we, we, we go to the east and to the west and we say, you've done a great job of reminding us of the martyrs. If you've ever grown up in that uh, tradition, you know there's days of the martyrs. Some of these churches in our area are named after the martyrs. They've done a good job with that. But then what do they do? They teach people to pray to those martyrs so that the blood that they shed will now be also applied to them. They call it merits of grace, that these martyrs had so much grace that they brought to heaven by their good deeds that there's a treasury of grace up there that they don't need anymore. And so if you pray to Justin Martyr, if you pray to Ignatius, Saint Ignatius, anybody ever heard that name, Saint Ignatius? That's one of my heroes of the faith. He belongs to our tradition by the way. He would want no one to pray to him. But they'll say, you pray to St. Ignatius, and St. Ignatius, out of his extra treasure of merit, he'll give you some grace. He'll give you some help. How many know we only get grace through Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice for our sins? But the beauty of these stories, and as the Bible says in Hebrews 12, they, they, the beauty of this is they become a cloud of witnesses who surround us and cheer us on by their testimony because the American church has been put to sleep by the lullaby of the devil. Hush, little church, don't you cry. I'm going to get you a promotion. I've got a new job for you to work. Social media will keep you busy. You know, just lullaby, just go right to sleep, church. Work your job. Keep up with your friend on Instagram. Shh. And here Jesus said this to his disciples as one of his last words. Going back to the notes, please. You're going to die, many of you. You're going to be tortured. You're going to be killed. You're going to be driven out of the place that you consider to be the most sacred, your church, your synagogues, your gathering places. And not only will they do this to you, but they, they'll do it with joy. They'll do it with approval. They'll actually think they're so righteous. They deserve to live, but you deserve to die. Is there an application here? Absolutely. I don't have anything against uh, vaccines. I know some of you are anti-all vaccines. I was just against the way this vaccine was being pushed. And since I wasn't willing to take a vaccine, I, if I caught COVID according to some, should die. Did you ever hear anybody say something like that on Facebook? Well, all of you non-vaccinated folks, if you get COVID, you should just be left out to die. Their righteous, and I say in the quotes, their righteous anger justified them to have people die. Think about how quickly humanity can turn that way. You Jewish person, you deserve to die. You slave, you deserve to die. You non-vaccinated person, you deserve to die. Now if you don't accept transgenderism, you deserve to die. It's your fault that they're suicidal, even though all, every media outlet is promoting them. Even Budweiser has taken time to promote them. Everybody's promoting them. But if they still commit suicide, it's your fault, Christian. And so if anyone's going to die, you should die. You deserve the death. Now think about this, brothers and sisters. Should we, as Americans, stand in our rights and freedoms? Yes, as long as we can. But should we depend on those rights and freedoms? Absolutely not. Because if those rights and freedoms vanish, 
I'm still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, brothers and sisters, were made for such times like this. We were born and bred out of worldview conflict. In other words, when we first became Christians, we were rejected by the Jewish world, hated by the Roman world, hunted down by all of the nations that we went into, whether it was to the Goths and to the barbarians of Europe or whether it was into India. Stephen, uh, excuse me, Thomas went into India and was speared to death by the pagans there defending their gods. And in India today, this extreme Hindus still persecute us. We were made, brothers and sisters, for a kingdom that suffers violence because the violent shall take it by force. That's what the crusaders used when they picked up swords. But the, the violence we're talking about is not one of crusaders with swords. It is one of prayer and the sword of the Spirit that casts down every argument and knocks down every position that tries to lift itself above the knowledge of God. Brothers and sisters, that's why you have to keep your sword sharp during this time. And you don't sharpen your sword with wood. You don't sharpen your sword with water and things like that and different elements. There's a way to sharpen a sword that has been tested and proven over the years, and that's iron sharpening iron. I know some of you know about those hydro lasers that can sharpen swords and they come down like a laser beam. That's with water. That's not what I'm talking about. In the back in the day, the only way you could sharpen your sword was through what? Iron sharpening iron. That's why in these last days we need to stay close to our brothers and sisters. Even though they may fail us at times, make mistakes, we'll get back up. We'll repent and do it right because we're going to sharpen each other. Amen? Amen. They'll put you out thinking they're doing God a service. Look at verse 3. They will do such things because they, because they have not known the Father or me. Notice that is the theme of John. The reason why people reject Jesus is because they reject the Father. And the reason why they don't understand who Jesus is is because they don't understand the Father. That's why there's always been a debate among Christians among, with Muslims do they have the same God as the Christians and the Jews? And to be technical, it is no, they do not. And even some Jews do not have the same God as we do as Christians because if they reject the multi-personality of God, they are outside of the Jewish faith. The Jews of this time and even before Christ understood the Father, Son, and the Spirit were multi-personal beings that would show up and have relationships with them. The Jews of the second temple were way for some kind of manifestation of God. However, these Jews, particularly who were in charge at this time, had rejected the idea of the multi-personal God and were now persecuting Jesus. But do not get it twisted. These were not the only Jews at that time. As a matter of fact, as you think of Judaism today, it is mostly a reaction to what Christians have done. And so now when you look at the Talmud and other writings, it seems as if Jews always believed in the single person of God. They would only see God as one person. But that is not true. When you go to their writings that are around during that time and before, you can look up Philo and others, they believed in the multi-personality of God. In other words, when you look at what they called their interpretations or their commentaries on the scriptures, they were called the Targums. Everybody say the Targums. Yeah. 
In the Targum of Jonathan, predating the Talmud, predating the Christian church, when the Lord shows up to Abraham, they said the word, the remna, came to Abraham. The, the memra, rather, came to Abraham. In other words, they believed the word of the Lord was a person. Can I hear an Amen. Trust this theologian, but go home and test me and see if I'm right. Targum of Jonathan, the Memra. Rhema is the Greek word. Memra is the Hebrew word. Listen, they would interpret when the Lord would come down and meet with them. They would interpret that as the Memra would come. The word of the Lord would come. And yet the word of the Lord, as they understood it, was a person. It wasn't like this. The word of the Lord came to Abraham, a a folding scroll. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? It wasn't Sesame Street, a, a talking alphabet coming down to talk to them. No, when they said, and they interpreted it, the memra came to Abraham. They understood that the word of the Lord was a person. And then they also believed in the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory, and that the spirit of the Lord that brought the Shekinah glory could speak. The spirit of the Lord had a voice. The spirit of the Lord had a will. And so these are the multi-personal aspects of the one God. And so that is true Judaism. And so if Judaism rejects that, they do not have the God of the Bible. Can I hear an amen? And we know certainly that the Muslims do not have the God of the Bible. Now, can you use the name of Allah to refer to the God of the Bible? Yes, just as we use the English word God, which comes from the pagan uh, Germanic language. So you do not have to speak Hebrew or those kinds of words that sometimes Christians try to think they're all spiritual. Unless you say Yahweh, you know, you're speaking to pagan gods. Or unless you say Yeshua, you're speaking to a pagan god because it uh, comes from uh, Jesus the Greek and now Jesus in the English. This is a total misnomer. Jesus spoke multiple languages. The disciples spoke multiple languages. How many know above his head it was put in three different languages, a king of the Jews? This idea is just what we call the uh, Hebrew roots uh, heresy, which you have to speak the names in Hebrew. That's not true. Even the Jews translated their scriptures before the time of Jesus into the Greek language, and it was accepted by Jesus and quoted by the apostles. As a matter of fact, the apostles quoted more from the Greek translations than they did the Hebrew translations. And where so the most? In the book of Hebrews. Which you think in the book of Hebrews, they would be quoting from the Hebrew translation. But the book of Hebrews, like any other gospel, quotes primarily from the Septuagint, and it has the most there. Everybody go, ah, interesting. Amen. So in other words, even the most strictest of Hebrews who held to their culture and language still accepted the Greek translation in their day because it was the easiest way to communicate their beliefs. Now looking here at our scriptures, they reject Jesus because they reject the Father. Verse 4, I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I have warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, and you could probably insert there, and I didn't want you to get scared and leave me. <laughs> you know. So I've been breaking it down to you little by little because how I know that's a tough thing to swallow right there. But he did say, little by little, whoever wants to come after me must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He's saying that before the cross. How many know that's a head scratcher right there? So imagine me saying that to you guys. Anybody who wants to be a disciple of Metro Praise has to deny themselves, take up the death penalty, and come to 201 class. 
or take up the electric chair, you know, or take up the, you know, uh, lethal injection. How many know that would be a little weird? What are we doing here? Take up the Kool-Aid. What are we doing here, Pastor? Are we on a trip here? To, you know, is this a death cult? But see, Jesus understood what we didn't understand, and he was breaking it down little by little. You will lay down your life for this. The people who have suffered persecution, like the ones I've mentioned before, they testify that they have seen Christ in ways that those of us who live in freedom have never seen him. Think about that. Richard Warmbrand said it like this. There are people who really believe in Jesus, and then there's others who really think they believe in Jesus. You can't know the difference between those two until persecution comes. Do you really believe in Jesus, or do you just think you believe in Jesus? Now, we shouldn't think of ourselves as less than, nor should we be like with a martyr complex. Hey, somebody try to kill me so I can see if I really love Jesus. No, we're not going to do that. But we do have to understand that in times of persecution, the faith will be tested. And I think some of us have already experienced that persecution. I've told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. In other words, it wasn't the right time, and I'm moving you along to this point. But now I'm going to him who sent me, None of you ask me, where are you going? Now, Peter had asked this earlier in John chapter 13, verse 36. It's not a contradiction because now at this point, no one's asking because they are fully confused and they're going to get unconfused as the time goes on. But they're still not getting it and they don't even ask during this time because they're lost in the conversation. As a matter of fact, after Jesus' resurrection, they're still doubting. How many believe that's true in the scripture? And they have to be shown who he is for the next 40 days and then after that, they still don't know where he's going and why he's going there because they started asking about dates and times of the kingdom. Y'all remember that? We just read it. And he said, that's not the concern. Don't worry about that now. So that in other words, they're asking the wrong questions at the wrong time. Look at verse 6. Rather you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Now, why is it good? Notice this here. Unless I go away, the advocate, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Will you highlight that again? Whose side are you on in this debate of the great schism, the east or the west? Okay, you're on the right side then. Half kid. But I think it's pretty clear who sends the Holy Spirit, the Father through the Son. I will send him to you. Now, we're going to stop there for today. By God's grace, we'll come back next week, and we'll learn about the role of the Holy Spirit. Can I speak to you for the next few moments about suffering as a Christian? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, that was the introduction. Come on, we're going to get into a message now about Christian suffering. You guys have some time, right? Turn with me in your scriptures to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. We're going verse by verse through the book of John, applying it to our lives. I did my best to make it applicable. I've used already some relevant examples. But now I want to tell you the purpose of suffering and why God allows it to happen to his children. Because so often, people get an idea of complaint against God. God, why do you allow this to happen? Why is this happening? And we begin to think that maybe God doesn't care about us. Because bad things happen to us as good people when we suffer, while good things are happening to bad people while they're causing us to suffer. Has anybody ever seen that happen in life? Yeah, you know, even during that COVID time, while we were suffering, the churches that I saw that went along with it, they did amazing. They got to save money on their budget, bring in more than they ever did before because they didn't have to spend it on anything, right? All they had to do was pay their rent. Anything else they had, they didn't have to worry about. Got to keep all that money in the bank. Got to be friends with the mayor, hang out. I mean, that's pretty cool, hanging out with the mayor. What's going on, mayor? Where are your buds? So their life's going amazing. 
while we're getting the threats of the mayor tearing down our building. And that's what persecution looks like. And that's an extreme, I know, even in our culture. But it may look something like that in your life. You're not willing to compromise your faith on your job, but the one that lives without really any moral compass keeps getting more promotions, keeps getting better uh, jobs and, and more sales. We're right now praying through our printer for Kingdom Printing because we spent 15000 on it, and now it's having to get repairs, and they're saying that we're outside of warranty. But guess who decides where the warranty starts, uh, starts and stops? The one who gives the warranty. And then I said to them, well, we've been in trouble with this printer from day one. You have the records. And they go, well, now it's too late to apply that warranty. Well, I said, isn't that convenient? We have a six-month warranty, but for the three months that we had issues, you never told me to send it in to get it fixed. Now it's after six months, warranty's over. It just happens to now need the three, $4,000 repair. Somebody say the devil is a liar. Yeah, but I guess, listen, but I guess, and I, I might be right on this, if I went to that manufacturer today and asked him how it's going, oh, man, we're doing great. We're doing amazing. We're selling these printers to make these garments like hotcakes. Yeah, but your, your warranty stinks and your product's not good and you're causing small businesses like this one over here to burn through thousands of dollars. They're suffering because of it. Oh, it's okay. I don't hear it. La, 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 la. I'm doing good. I got a new boat. My wife just got some new earrings. Come on, a Prada purse. Do they make a Prada purse? A coach purse. Let me go with the coach. See, that's what the world feels like oftentimes, doesn't it? Because if I was to talk to that manufacturer as a Christian, you might be on that job as a Christian. I won't mention the name. But you might be there and go, boss, come on now. Uh, this is the third one that's called in this month. We were taking their service calls for months before the warranty, but you told me not to mention the big thing that was the problem. You told me to keep stringing them along, and now they're telling us that it doesn't even work anymore, and you want me to tell them the warranty's over. Boss, I, I don't know if I can do that. And then what does the boss say? Well, I guess you don't want this uh, $5,000 bonus then because <laughs> that's what you're about ready to get. Because we're bringing these things in, and we're selling them, and we can hardly keep them on the, on the shelf. I guess you don't want that then. See, that's what it looks like in our culture as Christians suffer. Because brother or sister, at some point, you have to say, no, I don't want that. If, I can't, if you can't stand behind your product, I can't pretend that this is a good product. I can't, I can't lie to customers like that. That's why, you know, so often I don't want to put anybody down if you sell used cars, you know, but sometimes they, they get that reputation, don't they? The oily used car salesman. Oh, it's great. It's great. Look at it. It's amazing, you know. Drive it off the lot, has all of these problems. Oh, yeah, we didn't know about that. Oh, we didn't know about that. And then you see when you go back to say, well, I don't want it. I don't want it, man. You take it. And then they now want to buy it back from you for half of what you paid. Do you know that I've actually sold cars to the dealerships and gone back a few weeks and checked their website to see how much they're selling it for? Blows your mind what they do. Now, of course, they have to make a profit. I get it. I mean, I don't want them to sell it for the same price they bought it for. They'd go out of business. But it's ridiculous. I think oftentimes people in these industries, they get so used to taking advantage of others, not to speak against mechanics, but the same kind of thing. They had to do these, uh, these under, uh, you know, undercover camera things because these guys in these oil change places, and I once again, I not want to put anybody down that's in these places, but be righteous, amen. 
would, would, would come out and talk to people like my wife. You know, That's why I say, Nancy, when you go there to get the oil change, it's an oil change and that's it. And come home. Because <laughs> I come to my wife, oh, man, there's this doohickey over here that doesn't work. And it's because it's connected to this other doohickey over here and this doofing-dangle thing. And oh, and, and, uh, and, and this thing over here. And then my wife would get an estimate of like $500. Seriously. How many know what I'm talking about? You see, you get, people get a reputation for this. But see, Christians, we ought to be different. But now imagine you're a Christian at that job. And they say over your shift, hey, hey, what's going on here? Uh, uh, we don't see you bringing in the same amount of money. Every shift, we're supposed to see at least 1,000 in sales here. I'm only seeing 600. What's going on? Well, you know, I, I just tell them what's wrong with their car, and then I fix it. Oh, no, come on, man. You got to do this, this, and this. Brothers and sisters, let's not act like this only happens with mechanics and with car salesmen. There are banks closing right now because of corruption. There are governmental leaders in this city who have been arrested because of corruption. It's in every department from the police to the education to the mayor. So let's just not look at the used car salesman or over here the, you know, the oil change person. It's everywhere. And brother or sister, you need to be careful on your job that you don't fall prey to the idea of if I'm doing good financially, then that means I'm blessed by God. Because oftentimes Christians will suffer for their stance. Now, what do I believe will happen is as Christians do the right thing, we'll get the right results. That's why you begin to hear about Christian businesses taking their stands, and then they continue on with their blessing. How many know they tried to cancel Goya? Remember that when they tried to cancel Goya? How many know that didn't work? How many know Goya sales just went up? Because Latinos said, hey, you can say what you want about everybody else, but don't you mess with our food. No, I'm kidding. No, they, no, they basically said, hey, listen, we've been raised traditional. We've been raised with one man and one woman and families, and we understand that we're to respect and honor one. We're not falling prey to tearing down a sin. We don't do that in Jesus' name. Amen? And, that, and that's where you can see God turn it for good. And that's where we need to see more Chick-fil-A's, more Goya's, more people that have righteous-based causes that customers come to and say, I'll support that and get behind it. Because how many are done seeing transgender in cartoons? Amen. How many are done with it? So we just go to the other cartoon. We need to get to the point where we have our apps, our entertainment, our thing, until the world says it's not working anymore, and they go back to common sense. Amen. When we look to the Scripture, though, it does serve a purpose. And it may not always be on your job. It may also be with your family in the, in the last few moments that we have together. Just let me give you one more example. There are times in your family with those closest to you that they'll say, it's either me or that church. It's either me or your belief in God. And brothers and sisters, that can be painful. There are some of you here that have already dealt with that, whether it's with your parents or with your own children or your best friend. And they'll say, you know what? You've changed. And if you don't change back to the way you used to be, we're not going forward with you anymore. We're not doing the barbecue. We're not doing this. Even people have been cut out of their inheritance. Brothers or sisters, don't think it's strange. Look at the Bible says, at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange was happening to you. When your family comes against you for the name of Christ, we're not talking about a bad attitude. We're not talking about you being mean, starting a fight with Cousin Flacco at the barbecue and it all going down. We're not talking about that. I'm talking about you living for Jesus and it shaking things up. 
Well, if you don't accept our cousin's marriage to another person of the same gender, then we don't want you coming around anymore. You're making them feel uncomfortable. Okay, well, I guess I won't be eating out of cheddar with you anymore. Right? Let's be honest. Some of you have siblings that are same-sex attracted. Some of you have had to turn down weddings and celebrations. And you know what? They're going to cry a tear at that reception. I wish my brother was here. But I've met you now, and you've accepted me, and you've become a brother. And someone will come up and hug them and say, I get you. I get you. And that brother's been, that person has replaced you. They'll do that. How many know that's what they do? And they'll tell a sad story. Well, mom didn't walk me down, but his mom walked us both down, and that's when we got married. And his mom is so much more understanding than my mom. My mom's religious. Oh, yeah. They'll persecute you. They'll manipulate you. They'll try to take advantage of you and use and abuse you. But the Bible says, do not think it's strange. We have a meeting for you to go in back there. Brother, would you go with Lauren, please, and thank you. Let's give it up for Pastor Ray as he does some pastoring today. Amen. Right back there, sir. They'll help you out. We're going to continue our service. I thought I could get done so he could pray, but we can't. He's going to go right into a meeting, then preach, help me preach in second service. Continue this with me. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You mean God's actually giving us who suffer persecution a chance to share in what Jesus went through? Yep. You mean that he's actually giving us another opportunity to rejoice? Yep. We have a lot of reasons to rejoice. When was the last time you said persecution is one of them? But that's the attitude we're supposed to have. When was the last time, brothers and sisters, you went out and preached the gospel on the streets? They mocked and ridiculed us, and you came back rejoicing, saying, Thank God I had a chance to suffer for Jesus. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain or the sting of the rejection or the physical pain, if it were to come to that, and certainly we would stand up for our rights and press charges. But it does say that we're overjoyed with his glory. Why? Wasn't Jesus given glory for the cross? Think about it, brothers and sisters. Didn't Jesus give glory to God on the cross? Yes or no, brothers or sisters? Yes. Then we give glory to God when we carry our cross. That glory is being revealed in our lives. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's not just in this, uh, the second coming. That's not just when we begin to shine like light bulbs for Jesus on that day and the glory is all over us. No, it's even right now there's glory. Stephen's face even shone while he was being stoned. There's a story of uh, missionaries going to Central America, and when they came out to preach the gospel to the folks that were there, they started to shoot their arrows at them, and they lifted up their hands, and they said, we're not here to harm you. We're here to help you. We're here to help you, and then they killed them and martyred them, but the story doesn't end there. You can watch the movie End of the Spear based on this true story. As those men killed the missionaries, and they were walking over to their bodies, they heard angels in the jungle singing praises to God and bright lights shining all around. At that moment, they began to realize we had killed the wrong ones. These were not our enemies. 
A few months later, the wives of those men who had laid down their lives that were safely in the missionary compound had a decision to make. Do we say the mission is over? We've tried. Now we'll wait for somebody else. Or do we continue where our husbands have been martyred? And they prayed and they came. The women of those martyred men came to that village that had martyred them, not knowing what would even happen to them. But the men had pity on them. Let them live among the other women. They, say, they said that this was maybe because of the culture, that when you kill the warriors, the women and family join with that village. But they didn't understand that those women were there to preach the gospel to the wives and to the children. And the villagers who were a part of the martyrdom eventually became Christians. And then the one who led the raiding party became best friends with the child of the man who laid down his life. Would you put up the picture of those from the end of the spear, the pastor, son, and the leader of the tribe. And they went around, think about this, they went around preaching the gospel of reconciliation and God's love. The very man who killed the father became best friends to his son and went around preaching the gospel. You can't tell me that's not a glory. In my opinion, in my personal opinion, that is a greater glory than the angels in the jungle. Hello? To love your enemy, for them to become reconciled, and then to go around the world preaching the gospel together? The glory of God was revealed. But let me ask Lucas today, or Titus, one of my boys, would you want the glory of the Lord to be revealed if it cost me your father's life? See, that wouldn't be something we would say, sign me up for, would it? But what if God in his sovereignty has orchestrated such a plan? What if through our suffering there is glory revealed that no other situation could bring it about? This is the man with the son of the missionary. End of the spear, if you want to watch the life story of these precious men. Brothers and sisters, we cannot say to God, I will only take the good but not the bad. We cannot say to God, well, get me off this train now that suffering comes. We stay on the gospel train no matter what happens. Amen? Going back to the Peter passage, it says that his glory will be revealed in us. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Somebody say blessed. Blessed, the Bible says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Band, would you come quickly in closing? How many here have been insulted for Christ? Come on, raise up your hands. Don't be ashamed. Then the spirit of glory rests on you. The spirit of glory. It then says, well, we shouldn't suffer as murderers. We shouldn't, uh, you know, go out there and cause a scene and say, well, that's persecution. No, that's not what we're doing. We're not going out there with the martyrs complex. But if you have truly been preaching the gospel and you have been insulted, you've been given a chance to share in Christ's sufferings. And you are blessed. And think about this the spirit of Christ and of glory rests on you today. Father, I pray in closing now for every one of us. 
that we would not run from the sufferings that may lie ahead for us as believers. But like David, we will run to your plan for our lives. Oh, Lord, we pray for our enemies and those who despitefully use us and for even those like Muslims who think when they martyr us in all of these places, they think they're doing God a service. Lord, we pray for them. And we ask for their salvation. And Lord, we ask for our strength. And we ask for the strength of our brothers and our sisters. Look at your heart right now. And if you're not a Christian, this may seem to be an odd message to become one, but in actuality, it's the best message to become one because now you're counting the cost, as our Bible says. If you really want to be a Christian, would you lay down your life for Jesus? And then those of us who are already Christians, would you check your heart and see if you put your American dream above the plans of God? Would you give it all away to serve Jesus? Would you lay it down? Or are you going to compromise? A few moments, if you don't know Jesus, ask Him to be the Lord of your life today. Ask Him to send the Holy Spirit to you to give you forgiveness and a new life. And then those of us who are already born again, ask the Holy Spirit to come in the name of Jesus to give you power to be a witness. A few moments right now can change your life. And for those of you who have been witnesses before but have lost your zeal, ask the Lord to make you zealous for the kingdom. A few moments right now, I was watching the videos of these underground believers and they were so inspiring because so often I wonder in this church, oh, am I doing enough as a pastor to inspire uh, the believers here to go out and do great things? You know, is our church growing fast enough to get people excited about the gospel? And as I was watching those underground believers in China going after the gospel where there was nothing to gain, there was no mega church, there was no kids program, it hit me so hard. If the gospel's not enough motivation for for you. Nothing else will be. It's all but make-believe then. So ask yourself, my brother or sister who's been a gospel preacher for years, ask if you've lost your first love, if you've lost your zealousness. Then it's your duty today to ask God to set your heart on fire. Don't let the underground church outwork you for the gospel today. Don't let our brothers and sisters in the face of persecution outpreach you today when you have the freedom and the ability to do so. Stand up if you believe today that God's calling you to be a gospel preacher. Give him a hand clap of praise and a shout of glory and say, send me Jesus. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit with fire and send me out. Here I am, Lord. Send me, oh God. Here I am, Jesus. Send me, oh God. Because in the name of Jesus, brother and sister, if I pray this over you and you mean it, say amen. Because in the name of Jesus, if we're willing to lay down our life, Father, like Stephen did, you will get the glory and you will multiply us. We won't die. We'll multiply. If that's you, say amen. Come on, amen, Lord. Amen, Jesus. Amen, Jesus. Whatever the cost for your glory. 
I pray for this nation. Would you pray for some places that need the gospel right now? Pray for your workplace. Pray for our government. Pray for a certain nation that may be on your heart or a people group or a location. Lord, we pray right now for souls to be saved. We pray for Boys Town, hallelujah, to become Jesus Town. We pray, oh Lord, for the government to get rid of corruption, for godly leaders to step in. We pray for the persecution of Christians to end in the public schools. We pray for the ways of God to be freely proclaimed. Oh, in the name of Jesus, we pray for jobs and corporations to do what's right in this land, for the gospel to come forth. Even now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we will testify.